Welcome back to Life Lanes, the brotherly podcast where we explore incredible stories of people from all walks of life. We are your hosts, Dom and Justin Mazza, two brothers interviewing some really interesting people. This podcast is brought to you by SeatGeek. Use code word SKIPPERSVIEW for $20 off your first purchase. So, Dom, our guest today um, is none other than Christina Mazza, our cousin. She is a nurse uh, with outpatient and inpatient experience. She's a forever student. She is a recent homeowner, just kind of before the pandemic, so we'll get into that, and an aunt to two crazy nephews. So really looking forward to talking to Christina today. Great. Yeah, as am I. Uh, some of the topics we're going to talk on today, um, you know, being a nurse in the healthcare field, and especially what was her experience like during a uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Um, we're going to talk about what it's like to be single in your 30s, so some juicy gossip with that one. Uh, we're going to talk about what it's like to be a homeowner. You know, I am going to be purchase a home maybe in the next five years. So I'm always trying to pick brains of newer homeowners, see what the, the ins and outs are with that. And then lastly, we're going to talk about just being what a forever student means, you know, both formally and informally, how that affects, uh, you know, our daily decisions. Sounds good. But Dom, as always, um, are you drinking anything good this Monday evening? Of course, of course. What are we rocking? I am, you know, I'm drinking an interesting thing. So when we went to Paris, we had this St. Germain drink, which I've never had before. St. Germain Spritz, yeah. For the people that don't know what that is, I don't really know what it is, to be honest. But it definitely has elderflower in it. So it's very floral, kind of tastes like some chamomile tea, but it's really, really good. And I put it on some gin. And I found this great company, uh, not sponsored yet, and they do a lavender or an elderflower tonic water. So it kind of just blends perfectly together. So that's what I've been drinking these last few nights. Um, I love it. Nice. What about uh, you? That looked pretty fruity. What you got? I went uh, French as well. It's French take on a French 75. So that's also a gin-based cocktail. Mm -hmm. Um, So I did, it's usually gin, lemon juice, simple syrup, and champagne. I had no gin. I'm sorry, no lemon juice floating around. <laughs> I had a ton of oranges from the weekend, so we went with an orange. So it's pretty good. Did you put like orange juice in there? I did. Yeah, squeezed orange. Uh, I, I have, as you know, still working off my pumpkin simple syrup. So it's really good. Pumpkin and orange, really nice compliment. And this time, I know how old the champagne was. We just opened <laughs> it up yesterday, so fresh champagne. Trying to go through it. Um, so yeah, just why to... why do you have so many oranges on deck? Uh so Lindsay's bridal party oh, proposal yes. was yesterday. So we had oranges and champagne and a bunch of charcuterie meats and a ton of Italian cookies still left over. How many uh Aperol spritzes were had? I don't think I so we did a mimosa bar instead. That was the, the theme. So it was brunch. We did uh mini chicken and waffles, which was a big hit, some ricotta fig and almond thing i don't know i was kind of slaving over a stove for three hours straight but it came out good everyone said yes so good thanks two two thumbs up from this guy over here that's it that's it all good stuff um so what do you think we bring on christina yeah you look i think you look concerned about that you know i was thinking about something 
Yeah, but you know, I'll ask uh, Christina. All right, so we're, all right, that sounds good. So, Christina, what's going on? How are you? I'm great, guys. How are you? We're really I'm good. A, we're looking I'm forward. A little, to next. Yeah, I'm a little jealous that you guys get to have cocktails now. I'm in my fasting window, so I'm just happily drinking my water here. Okay, well, that's a quick, uh, you know, spin. So, what does that mean, fasting window? What does it look like daily for you? Oh, so I started intermittent fasting about well, probably like two months in now. Um, so my eating window is 12 noon to 8 p.m. Um, yeah, so really the hardest part. I mean, skipping breakfast was easy. The hardest part was coffee. Um, mm -hmm. But now I'm down to black coffee in the morning. So it's a little rough, but you get used to it. Probably well, getting yeah, an ulcer, yeah. but, you know, at least I'm intermittent fasting, so... Oh, you're still young. You got I'm time. I'm still young. I'll recover. It's got to be tough waking up so early and not having anything until noon. Yeah. You get used <laughs> to it pretty quickly. Um, and when I'm hungry, I just drink water. <laughs> we uh, we went to a wedding on Friday. I don't know. We got to bed finally at 2 a.m. or so. Um, so I slept in until, I don't know, call it 8.30 or so. I had pickleball in the morning. And I just kind of decided, you know what, I'm just going to fast until we had a housewarming party at 4, 4.30. Yeah. And I found out when you, if you sleep in and you have things to occupy your time, it's pretty yep. easy. I would agree. I have to do my errands in the morning on the weekends, distract right. myself, and, uh, yeah, just get it done. Wait, also, Christina, could you, like, you sleep in? Because I feel like now that I'm old, I can't sleep in anymore. Like... Yeah, I mean... I'm like, I can never sleep till 8.30. I, I wake up, you know, whatever it is, 7 o'clock. Like, I got nothing else to do in a way, so I might as well just rest oh, my body. Yeah. And, you know, I'm getting sore here and there. So it's nice to just lay in bed. Even if I'm not sleeping, it's nice to just relax. Yeah. Sorry, Dom, I cut you off. What were you going to say? Uh, I was just going to say, did you hear about my fast that I did? No. Oh. Was it like a 48-hour thing? Because I can't. Uh -uh. I, did, I did what's called a fasting mimicking diet, which is uh, it's a program through this company called Prolon. Mm -hmm. I gave a talk in my school, you know, maybe five years ago. And I've always been, you know, trying to try it. But what it is is they give you this meal kit, right? So everything is planned out for you. Okay. And basically, you're consuming about 750 calories a day for five days oh. and it's supposed to stimulate you know simulate your body being in that fasted state fasting mode yeah. yeah and you know autophagy and um i did that maybe like three weeks ago um and it was terrible i did not have fun doing it <laughs> i realized like, so much of my time is spent cooking cleaning and exercising, which I wasn't doing any of that. Mm. Yeah. Like, Damn, I'm, I'm kind of bored. And, like, you don't have, like... So, also, on a diet energetic. like that, do they advise you not to work out? Yeah. Because it's too much, like, caloric burn that you're exactly. not getting back? You know, yeah. So. They advise you to, like, do, you know, like, yoga and gentle walking and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah. You're supposed to do it once a week for three months and that's what the studies were based off of okay. i was like eh, i'm good you know i just wanted to like kind of reinvent my relationship with food yeah um but yeah it was, so it's I kind of funny that you like, said the research 
because yeah. the research on intermittent fasting is very kind of like up in the air because they're very short term studies. No one has really studied like the long term effects, you know, like a third beyond year. the year. Yeah, yeah, like a through the years kind of study. So, you know, what's the best fasting window? Um, yeah. Is it eight hours? Is it six hours? Is it better in the morning? Is it better in the evening? There's like so much controversy over it. But I'm like, you know, commit to what you can commit to. And exactly. uh, if you feel like it's working for you, it's working for you. And uh, yeah, it's working for me. So different strokes for different folks. Um, exactly. you know, I, I lost like eight pounds in five days. Just in five days. Yeah. And yeah. then I like put it on back like within three days. <laughs> well, I have a wedding coming up, so maybe that'll be helpful. yeah okay what's this source tyler medicine net medicine net yeah yeah so 16 8 method yep that's what i do yeah well good for you sister good for you yep yep yep. reel us back in justin yeah we went off on a tangent but that's all right so maybe before christina would get into it just a quick breakdown of who you are to us so okay. our dads are identical twins, uh, been best friends since birth, literally. Uh, they mm-hmm. currently live 15 minutes away from each other. So we kind of grew up down the block from you guys in a way. Um, really nice, I think, to, to have that relationship. And, and now, like more recently, you're playing pickleball with us. We're starting to see you more and more instead of just, you know, holidays or get togethers. It's nice to kind of mm-hmm. hang out with you more, which is fun. Um, so that that's I think that's cool just that we have, you know, not many people have twins in the family. So and it's cool that our twin dads are actually close. Like I know I know other stories of just families moving away, so it's kinda cool. Um so anyway, let's get into a little bit of your maybe your career path. Um so healthcare, let's walk through that. Maybe influences, mentorships along the way. Maybe starting with what kind of nurse are you now? I'm not even quite sure. So yeah. Okay, sure. So, um, you know, my father is in medicine, as is your father. Um, my mother is also in medicine. She is a PA. My dad is a retired uh, physician. Um, so I always like wanted something in medicine. Uh, originally, with psychology, um, and then I studied abroad, and I just wanted to do things faster. I wanted a little quicker pace. Um, so I decided to abandon psychology. I didn't want to, you know, go that route anymore. And I chose nursing. Um, I finished my degree. Um, and it's funny because my parents both work in pediatrics. So I thought, no, I don't want to do kids. I don't want to do that. That's what they do. But the universe had other plans because when I was in nursing school, I was always matched with kids. For community health, I was put into uh, the school districts. For psych, I was put into children's psych. And then for my final capstone, I was put in the PZR. So I was like, all right, let me give this a shot. Um, And when I started my practice, I jumped right into pediatrics and pediatric ICU, uh, which I loved. Um, And that was my base for a long time. I'm certified in pediatrics now. um, And I really... um, loved that career um but the pandemic hit um and they decided um to close the pediatric icu and the pediatric floor um to peds patients um and they turned us into a COVID icu 
uh, for adult patients. Um, so after that experience, I decided I needed a change of pace and the hospital was building a new building. Um, so I moved into the outpatient setting and now I work in ambulatory surgery. Um, and for those of you who don't work in healthcare, ambulatory surgery are the surgeries you go home after. Um, so fixing broken bones, um, you know, little, um, like tumor removals, cyst removals, um, Sometimes it's something bigger, like a hernia, but all the patients go home after the surgery. If so that is where I am now. So um, cool. nice. Like taking a step back. Yeah. Um, hear an echo on, I think, on your end. Oh, so my end, probably. Yeah, that's all right. Um, what? I guess when you switch from psychology within, did you have to make up classes and like, also like how long is nursing or what are the different routes with the nursing undergrad? Oh, there are so many. Um, so basically there are two degrees you can get from nursing. Um, you can have your bachelor's degree in nursing, which is what I have, or you can get your LPN, which you're a licensed practice nurse. Um, that is the other avenue you can go. Um, at the end of both programs, we take the same licensing degree. Um, so it's called the NCLEX. So both avenues, whether it's a bachelor's or an associate's degree nurse, take the same nursing licensing exam. Um, but it is harder to get a job when you only have your associate's degree. Um, most hospitals want you to have their your bachelor's degree. Um, it's part of the hospital's accreditation process um, for what's called magnet, which is like a symbol of excellence, which is what every hospital wants. And part of the magnet um, trio is that people have their bachelor's. There's the, the famous uh, clock that goes off. Does it go off every 30, 30 minutes? Thir yeah, 30 minutes. It goes off every quarter hour. What? And then at the top of the hour, you know, it does at it's nine o'clock, it will go off nine times. Why do you need that? Um, Because it was my grandmother's and now she's dead and somebody had to take the freaking clock. Wow. <laughs> like, yeah. So, I mean, you I know, know that you... Italian guilt is strong. Yeah. So you get the short end on that one. Yeah. Um, where does like the masters come into play in nursing? Like, is that needed? Is that you have your masters? What, what degrees do you have? You even have? Yeah. So I have my masters in nursing, uh, specializing in education, um, and I have my masters in global health. Um, so global health was kind of like a fun one for me. Um, basically, I had a patient once who came over from Bangladesh, covered in scarring for a procedure he had diverticulitis like in the united states it's so easy it's diet modifications it's an addition of one or two medi medications but in bangladesh that meant surgery they put, took out part of his intestines and it was like a whole mess and i was like what is healthcare like around the world like why does this happen um so that's what led me to my first degree um and then my second degree um, nursing education is I wanted to teach. Um, I wanted to lecture. 
Um, turns out you need your PhD to do that. So that may be the next um, phase, but a master's in nursing is not required to work anywhere. It just looks nice on your resume. All right, that's good to know. I know we'll get into uh, education school um, yeah. a little bit later. So I think you touched on this a little bit. Your um, your area of the hospital was closed down during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Maybe, I guess, what was healthcare or nursing? I guess, how, how has the, the pandemic changed things? And then maybe also get into, if it's all right, like what was healthcare like during the pandemic? Yeah. Um, I think for me, well, healthcare has changed a lot, I think, post-pandemic. Um, I find that providers are a little bit shorter in terms of like having patients um, for, you know, nonsense and for silly things. And I think patients kind of feel the same way. Um, So it's a little bit of a harder balance for us now. Um, The pandemic was horrible. Um, I will say it's one thing that the media did not over exaggerate, Um, you know, morgues being overrun with bodies was true you know the coolers out in the streets were true um and it was a horrible time to work in a hospital and to be part of the field um for me personally it wasn't just being surrounded by death it was also being surrounded by patients that i was unfamiliar with you know i'm used to little people who recover and who are resilient. I'm not used to adults that have all of these other problems. Um, You know, it wasn't just COVID for them. It was, they have high blood pressure, they're diabetic, they have kidney disease, they have all these other issues going on with them. Um, And I wasn't used to that, Um, you know, managing that acute of a patient. And, um, you know, in a sense, every day we, we, played God and was it right? Was it fair? Probably not, but equipment was limited. Supplies were limited. Um, You know, a patient who needed a full day of dialysis would get six hours and then the machine had to go to someone else, you know, someone else needed a full day and they would only get their six hours. So, um, you know, that was life um, for us. Um, Turnover in terms of patients was high. Um, I remember, I think my worst shift was we coded a patient and also you don't have the same time to code a patient for. Normally we would go maybe three or four rounds of meds and compressions to get patients back. COVID patients, we did one and done. So they got one round of meds, one round of, um, uh, compressions. And if they didn't come back, that was it. We moved on. Um, so we coded the patient. The patient next door coded, but like, no one leave. Let's go next door. Let's code this patient. They both died. Um, and the attending comes over to me and he's like, I hate doing this to you. He's like, but we got to get these patients prepped and down to the morgue because we have two more just like them waiting in the ER. And, you know, those, those were the days and those were the reality of our days. Um, and it's hard. It's one of those things where you're like, I don't want to be here, but where else am I supposed to be? You know, um, you definitely felt that obligation to, I am a healthcare worker, you know, and 
there's nothing for me to do at home, right? I can't see anybody. I can't go anywhere. I should be here. Um, so instead of working my three or four days a week, I would work five or six days a week. Um, you know, yeah. Yeah. again, was it the right thing to do? I don't know, but it was what I felt I needed to do. Um, can, you, can you explain what a code is for people? Yeah, sure. Um, so you could have a lot of different kinds of codes. Um, this one. Um, these were obviously respiratory codes. Um, and these codes were a little bit different because these patients were already intubated, uh, meaning they already had a breathing tube in. Um, so normally a code would be... Um, if a patient goes into um, like respiratory failure, if their respiratory rate is dropping too rapidly and you see they're not breathing properly, or of course, the most common one that you see on TV is they flatline, right? They have no heartbeat anymore. Um, so what you would do is you would start the chest compressions like they always do on television. Um, depending on what their heart rhythm is, you can treat it either with medications or with a defibrillator. Um, so we would use that. Um, and if they didn't, if they weren't breathing on their own, we would then put the breathing tube in. Um, of course, these patients all already had it. So, you know, that was a step that we could skip over. Um, but we used to do the compressions and a round of medications um, and shock if it was indicated with the defibrillator. Um, if not, that was kind of it. Um, and also, you have to remember that these people had no families there either, right? So you were not only the nurse, but you were also their only family um, and their only connection to their family. Um, so you had that, I guess, emotional baggage to take home with you as well. Not only the trauma of losing a patient, but the trauma of losing a family member. Um, that's kind of what it felt like for us. So... Um, so yeah, it was, maybe Christina maybe just Yeah. Um, I mean, talk about like you get you're you I mean you're a relatively young professional, plenty of young professionals. I know I had a lot of friends actually leave the healthcare field after COVID nineteen. Mm -hmm. Just dealing with, you know, the trauma and the I'm assuming the PTSD um that comes yeah. from that. Like how did 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 healthcare workers or, or nurses in particular, like, did you guys band together? Did you talk about these things? Do you talk about them now? Like, or is it just, we just did our job and you keep going? Um, a little bit of both. I think in the moment you kind of just did your job and kept it moving. Um, there would be times when you were just like, I need a minute. Um, and, you know, you go into the supply closet and have a good cry or, you know, you do what you have to do and then come back in. Um, I think it was interesting because for a time in the height of the pandemic, they were actually offering us hotel rooms close to the hospital. So we didn't go home and risk infecting our families. Um, so a lot of nurses took them up, took the hospital up on that. Um, so then they were kind of like hanging out in hotel rooms and it like kind of became like a frat house. <laughs> they would like find like any open bodega and just you know get beer and alcohol and just kind of like rage and uh that was their outlet 
Um, and I think that helped a lot for them. Um, but yeah, it was, um, it was kind of interesting. I think now that things have quieted down, I think a lot of us are starting to unpack our trauma. Um, it's, it's, um, interesting. I definitely, during the pandemic, I had a lot of insomnia. Um, I didn't sleep well. Um, you know, either I heard the monitors buzzing in my head or, um, you know, I saw the faces of the patients I lost and it was, um, a really hard time for me. Um, even now I still have, you know, things that I have to deal with. Um, but you know, people say it's what you signed up for. And I'm like, this is not what I signed up for at all as a healthcare worker. <laughs> yes. I, I signed up to save lives, not, um, pick and choose who lives. And at one point that's kind of what it felt like. So, you know, this yeah. is not what I signed up for at all. And I hate that. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think to go back to your point, though, I know a lot of nurses have left the profession. Uh, it's kind of a staggering amount, actually, if you look at the statistics. Um, and if you look at the amount of people who hold nursing license, hold nursing licenses and aren't actually practicing. Um, I think those are the statistics that they look at. And it's... Um, it's risen significantly, people holding licenses and not using them. And I could see why it's a demanding profession physically and emotionally. Um, and I think if it's something you don't have the passion for, don't go into it. It's not, people are like, oh, it's great money. And I'm like, yeah, it is. But if you don't have the heart for it, you will be miserable every single day. Yeah. Um, luckily for me now, I don't wear weekends and holidays, so I will never complain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that was my COVID experience. It was an interesting time. <laughs> First, you know, I want to talk about my experience with the code. You know, I told Justin, uh, you know, Chris, thanks for telling us all that experience that you had with codes and. I wanted to talk about my limited experience with codes. Now I work in the outpatient setting, so I've never really been a part of a code. I go and I told Justin this story and I told my dad because my blood was pumping. Um, I went to the gym the other day and like one of the doors was locked and one of the girls was trying to get in and I was like, oh, is the door locked? And she's like, they have the defibrillator out. So like I go around and these three people are pumping on this dude's chest. Like he doesn't have a pulse, not breathing. We're hearing like these like gasps like come from him. So it sounds like he's kind of like choking on something. But uh, those are probably asthmal breaths. Yeah. Probably so so I, I heard breath. that is normal to like hear these sounds. Yeah. So I think it was an emergency room PA, an emergency room nurse. And fortunately, the guy who runs the BLS certification classes was taking a workout class that day. So, you know, these three were, were pumping on this dude. It was fucking wild to see. And uh, luckily, they did bring him back uh, while EMS was coming. And then EMS came. And I haven't heard a follow-up from him, but I'm pretty sure he he's okay. You know, like, he, he made it out of that thing, but... 
it was like really scary to see like his face was turning blue like and you know i'm bls certified and everyone in my office is up for recertification so i was like this is a sign we all need to prioritize getting recertified and it's like you know i don't know for all the people you know so many people have to take bls certifications which is um basic life support i think that's what bls stands for but like every like teacher librarians you know like people who are probably never going to use it you know including myself who works in like an outpatient setting we see relatively healthy individuals so anytime you take like a bls certification you kind of just like take it to pass the course plus there was covid so like they were preaching like sanit you know sanitizing everything so it was like oh like don't bother doing like you know uh you know, breathing exercises and things like that. Like, just pretend, just pretend. And now that I saw this in the wild, I was like, holy shit, next time I take it, I am... Isn't it incredible? Have you seen those memes? (laughs) Have you seen those memes that it's like, my health goal is to not look like I need CPR after doing two (laughs) minutes of CPR? (laughs) It is so true. It is so taxing. I always have this staying alive from the office in my head. Even, like, during them doing it, I was like... (laughs) It it was kind of cool. You know, it was like watching a video. She was like, allow for full recoil, stuff like that. And I was like, you know, I offered my support that if somebody needed, you know, me to tag in for it. But I was like, thank God I wasn't the one having to start all of this. I I could probably do it, you know, but you have, you know, 15, 30 seconds to, like, act, right? before you start seeing some irreversible damage. But that was just a little story I had with codes. And then I told my dad that, you know, and he was telling me all of his code stories. And he was kind of a badass, to be honest. Like, he told me some stories that were, like, recent from, like, the last year. Honestly, your dad kind of is a badass, and he's had a really cool career. So if he would ever agree to coming on this podcast, he would be cool to, like, hear his stories. Because... You know, in the 90s, he was kind of like a pioneer. No one wanted to work with HIV patients. And he's like, I'll do this, you know? I I don't know that about him. But he was telling me where, like, he did, like, a femoral catheter. And, like, he was telling me how he found a pulse on someone who doesn't have a pulse. And he was, like, using the people's, like, compressions to actually feel the pulse. I was like, damn, Dad, like, that's some movie shit right there. I, I, I was very proud of him when he said that. But I digress. Um, I just want to touch on a couple of things that you, you know, mentioned mm-hmm. with the hospital. You know, you're one of the few nurses that I know that's worked in both inpatient and outpatient setting. Um, you're currently in the outpatient setting. And I just want to get your take on um, what it's been like to have that outpatient setting. I know it seems a lot less stressful. Would you agree? I would agree completely. It's much less stressful. Um, I think it definitely is very uh department specific I would say Um, because I know in my building we also have the um, infusion center that does like the chemotherapy and they are extremely busy um, Mm -hmm. and they see a lot of patient volume Um, for us they're still building the patient volume for the surgical setting Um, so it's been kind of chill and uh, especially this time of year, it's been kind of chill because patients are getting sick and they're canceling a lot, which is great for us. All right, Chris, do you have any advice to young potential nurses who maybe are just getting in the field or started their career and thinking about what direction they want to take it? 
Yeah, I would say um, feel it out. Um, don't feel like your first job has to be your forever job. You know, move around, try a lot of different specialties, um, and network with your fellow nurses. It's great if you can find um, a mentor or someone you can go to for advice, but um, even just talking to your coworkers and listening to their experiences and what um, you know they have done with their careers um, can be really helpful in um, you know guiding your own career. Um, and nursing is a huge field, so working in a hospital is definitely not the only thing you can do. So feel free to dream big. <laughs> great, that, that's awesome. Yeah, I think the mentor is a common theme that we're going to be touching on in the show, uh, especially as you're a young person in your profession, because you really only learn that there's, I don't know, one or two things that you can do with your degree. For instance, being a nurse, right? Like, you probably only think about it from what you've seen on TV, which is mostly nurses in hospitals, right? That's what you associate with nurses. Correct, oh, yeah. night shifts, you know, 12 hour shifts, yada, yada, yada. But like you were saying, there's so many different paths that your career can take and really just talking to people who have been in the field long enough they can you know give some insight into that yeah absolutely so switching gears a bit christina to hopefully something a little bit more lighthearted. uh what what's it like being single and the reason i'm asking uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting married next year, have been single for a while. I guess I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, uh, at how old are you? 34, 33, 33, right. It's 2023. Then I'm yeah, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> year on, yeah. Uh, so what's the difference of kind of dating now? And, um, like, I, I still think, like, online is still the way to meet people. Am I, am I right? Am I wrong there? I mean, we're just curious. Um, you know, it's definitely the most common way to do it. Is it my way? Not really. Um, I feel like you can tell a lot by a person just in that first meeting and that first interaction. Um, and that's why I prefer to meet people in person, either through, you know, friends, coworkers, you know, whatever connection that may be. Um, just cause I feel like I can tell a lot about a person and how we're going to get along in those first, you know, few minutes. Um, and I don't want to waste my time with the online stuff. Cause I feel like it's a lot of lead up into a meetup, if that makes sense. Hmm. So, yeah, the, yeah. I know online. you're going to disagree with me cause we know so many couples who have met online, but I, I yeah, I guess by proxy, I'm an online couple, right? Someone I met online eventually introduced me uh, to my fiance. Yeah, it's a pretty unique situation. It's just totally you weird, right? Uh, I mean, it, 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 it is interesting. Why don't you tell people about that? Yeah, right? So uh, Lindsay, my fiance's best friend, uh, Jen, who is also now engaged, actually. Um, we went on a virtual date at kind of the height of COVID. I don't know what it was, maybe May or so. And uh, that did not work out for sure. We had a one hour date, didn't work out. Um, and I don't know, maybe about a month later, she passed my number along um, to Lindsay and just had a couple what of virtual a good dates friend that, that she I is. know. And <laughs> Lindsay called you? Yeah, so supposedly Lindsay was in the room. Damn. 
while we were on that virtual date, me and Jen, and like heard all these weird things that I was saying. I guess. I'm like, wow, she took a leap of faith, but she was in the room. So she was kind of on the date with you already. So she texted me on a Sunday and I was golfing. So I didn't respond for like six or seven hours, whatever it was. So she thought like I would never respond. Like it was just kind of a, uh, I guess not even a ghost because we never talked, but whatever it is, <laughs> a flake. Um, and uh, yeah, we just went on a couple of virtual dates and we decided, I mean, dating pen, you know, pandemic dating was very different for sure. Like if you were going to date someone, I was seeing like other people at the beginning of the pandemic and just one, I didn't feel comfortable like seeing multiple people because you never know kind of what's going on. Uh, and two, just kind of, you know, met Lindsay at the right time in my life where it just was easy to commit to, to that. So super weird situation for sure. I, I do agree kind of, Christina, what you're saying, the online dating always felt to me like an interview more than a date. Like the first was a pre-screen of if you're going to go and spend time and usually in a man's case, spend money as well with this person. Um, and if you didn't get along for like a 45 minute, you know, whatever virtual conversation or, uh, and this is like, I'm, I'm probably asking more with the virtual conversation, probably, you know, if you meet on Hinge or Tinder, you're probably just chatting, right? You don't even get to the, the virtual part of it. You should, hey, I want to meet at a bar. So uh, it's a little different now. Cause it's like, a, it's a game. It's like, I, oh, they, I they, was they just they about took, to say, yeah. They took six hours to respond. So, like, I can't take like 10 minutes to respond. Nah. I have I to, have wait, to like, take at least six time. and a half. <laughs> yeah. And it just becomes this game of cat and mouse that usually never goes anywhere. So, like, Christina, what, um, I guess, how then, if it's not online, right? Uh, what are the settings that you can meet a partner in today's world? And, like, where I guess, you know, I think of college, right? If you go away to college, the dorms or whatever, or even if not like classrooms, right? That's an easy social setting or functional group, stuff like that in your yeah, career. Yeah, for sure. Probably people. Um, um, I actually think something like you're involved in, Justin, um, I think a lot of people meet in social sports now. Um, you know, so we just started playing pickleball, like you said. Um, so it's things like that, you know, signing up for those group activities. Um, I know a friend who, um, you know, met his, they're married now, but he met his, uh, I guess, future wife at an intramural kickball league, um, oh. which, I mean, not I mine. Know, a woman at kickball, I mean, <laughs> but Wait, okay. it wasn't LI Kick? No, it was not LI Kick. That's how Mike and Laura met. They met living in Astoria. They met at a kickball league. I don't know what league it was. But it was not no leagues, kick. Justin. Then just but, like kick out there. No, yeah. not no, no. no. I know. Like this in Royal Sports League. Come on. Yeah. So <laughs> shout out. Sports, but, <laughs> no plug. Um, you know the workplace. I tend to shy away from, but you know maybe nah. in there. If, <laughs> What's that expression? You don't shit where you eat. That's so exactly what went on in my head. Yeah. Yeah. It it usually doesn't end well, but um, you know, what if it doesn't end? What if you end up marrying the partner? So yeah. gotta keep an open mind wherever you can. Cause I think, you know, once you reach a certain age, there are those pressures to meet the societal expectation of getting married and starting a family and Women can't do that forever, right? We, our biological clock is ticking. 
for sure. all those yeah. Michael and the mini fans out there. So, um, you know, it's, it's hard, I guess, to find that balance. Cause I feel like, you know, in your twenties, you waste a lot of time cause you think you have a ton of time. So, you know, in your twenties, nothing has to be serious. It could all be for fun. You could date all the wrong people. Um, and I'm not knocking dating in your 20s by any means, because I feel like by dating all the wrong people, I knew what I didn't want and what I wanted to avoid for future relationships. Um, you know, the guy who is not going to call you back is not going to change. He will still be a jerk and never call you back. You need to move on, you know. Um, so that way, when you come across him again, you don't make that same mistake, wasting six months trying to get him to change. Um so you learn those valuable lessons in your 20s and then you hit your 30s and then you're like, okay, now I can only date for like true potential partners. And then you're kind of putting pressure on yourself right at the beginning. Um, so now I kind of take that attitude that if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. <laughs> no, leave oh, it in. That was a short one. That was a short one with the clock. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I take the attitude that if it's going to happen, it'll happen, um, you know, either organically or not. Um, and if it doesn't happen, that's fine too. I mean, right. a lot yeah, of people I mean, stay single. Yeah. Even a lot of couples now, I find, are choosing not to have children. So, sure. Um, Dinks. I, I think, yeah, dinks, right? Dual income, no kids. Uh, wait, wait, I do. Did we talk about dildos? <laughs> What? Dual, what dual income dual income little dog owners <laughs> <laughs> little dog. <laughs> all right that's new <laughs> i it's it's interesting i i always hear the thought um if will happen will happen and maybe not like the kids thing for sure i get the partner thing you know everyone talks about like if it's meant to be it's meant to be but you have to put yourself in situations where it could be right and like that's the challenging part and obviously as a working professional, you're, you know, an, an aunt, you're right, a sister, you're, you're all these other things in your life. Um, you have other interests than, than just trying to meet a partner. You're also like a very self-sufficient and independent woman, right? Which is, you know, you've never uh, relied on a partner for. Yeah, which know, works in my favor. But oddly enough, I feel like in terms of relationship better. is actually harder. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we say we want to break the societal norms and the societal, I guess, gender norms, but it's a hard thing to break, you know, when it's ingrained in you. Um, and it's not to say our parents totally screwed us up, but, you know, as kids, you watch the dad goes out to work, the mom stays home with the kids, and it's just when that dynamic is, when you see it at such a young age and it sets your example, it's kind of different. Um you know, I was fortunate enough to be surrounded by strong women in my life. Um, and that was my example. I mean, my mom never, she was home with us briefly when I was kids, but I always remember my mom working um, and having an income and, you know, bettering her career. Um, and even my grandparents and my grandmothers, yes, they both um, were stay-at-home moms and had no traditional career, but they were strong women. They had no problem speaking their mind, speaking their opinion, and making themselves heard. 
Um, so I had that strong feminine example. So I was really lucky. Um, and I think the age uh, expectations, the age expectations are different now than they were 10, 15 years ago. You know, I think about our cousin Francis, who's getting married and I don't want to, uh, her to be angry at me, but she's 40? She's around 40. Anybody know? 38, maybe? 30, 39? Nah, whatever. Think. Whatever. She's, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, she met this great, great guy that she loves, and now she's getting married, right? So, you know, you, you brought it back to that biological clock, and yes, that is something that you have to consider if you're planning on having a child. You ever think about freezing those eggs? I don't even know what that process looks like. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had like a coworker going through IVF and she's a few years older than me and she was like, Oh, I wish I had thought about this at your age. I totally would have frozen my eggs and you know, that way when I'm doing IVF at thirty nine, at least my eggs are still thirty two and I was like, What? So wild. Oh, but you you like it's so wild. You keep them in a bank, right? Yeah, so you have to obviously pay for, like, the lead-up, the hormones. You have to pay for the harvesting. Um, and then, basically, they go into frozen storage, and you have to pay storage for them annually. That's so it's not... And it's, like, $1,200 a year. It's not cheap, either. It's quite an expensive process. Add it on to the mortgage. Just roll it all over. Speaking yeah. of mortgages. Oh, speaking of mortgages. Do we go into owning a home now? Uh, uh, I, yeah. It kind of sucks, right? I mean, uh, maybe to frame it this discussion. So I've I've been in my home just over three years now, which is pretty cool. Um, I think you've been five years? Uh, five years, yeah. Five years. Um, I know a lot of folks are buying their first home right now. It is a bloodbath out there. It right? is insane. It is like savage, the housing market right now. I feel so bad for people buying now. Yeah, I mean, and we, there's there's so many reasons behind that. But I think, you know, for me, so I, I've so so, you know, circle back like uh, three, four years, actually. I was looking for about a year, actually, towards Queens because I wanted to live closer work. I wanted to be able to take a subway to work instead of an hour train ride. So I was looking at four sales. Um, I was getting so frustrated because it was paying $800, $900 a square foot, which I'm like, what the hell is that um, in order to to live there? And one bedroom, one bath, like nothing spectacular. Got super frustrated with everything. And then honestly, the pandemic hit and just changed my frame of reference to what I wanted out of uh, my home. I still wanted to live in like an apartment style setting, like condo co-op, because honestly, I didn't want to like cut grass or like worry about the outside of my house. And it's a weird thing. Why? It's because uh, we I think uh, my dad's house or, you know, Dom dad's house was getting hit with like bad leaks at the time. And I just remember him spending like five, 10 grand, just like throwing away money to fix a leak. And then the next thing would happen, the siding went out, right, from wind, and, like, that cost another grand. I just, Owning I a home is truly, like, an endless money pit. It I, never I, ends. I tell everyone that. And it's not just, like, that kind of stuff. 
but it's things you don't think about, like replacing your water filters, like a hundred dollars for their fridge. Right. And it's like, that doesn't sound like a lot, but then you look at your air conditioned filters and that's another $200. I just went through like uh, my first wave of real light bulb replacements everywhere. And like led lights are expensive. And, then, and I'm like, Holy. And that's just like the bare necessities to live. You know, then you have to furnish the home, there's closing costs and all that. So maybe just like, what, what was your home? owner experience and like what did that look like yeah so um originally it started as i was looking for apartments as well um the guy i was seeing at the time he's like oh my lease is up like we should start looking for two bedrooms and i like thought he was joking but he was actually kind of serious and i was like okay so that started the hunt um obviously it did not work out because I live in this house by myself, but, um, you know, rents were kind of ridiculously expensive. Dom's laughing over there. Um, uh, but rents were like 25, 2,600 a month for two bedrooms. Um, and I was like, that has to be a mortgage. Like this is kind of crazy. Um, and my sister had purchased her home earlier in the year and I was like, let me just meet with the realtor and see, you know, what's out there. Um, and it's really not meeting with the realtor. It's re really meeting with a mortgage broker or the money guy to figure out what you can pay in a mortgage and start accruing equity in a property versus what you're going to pay in rent. Because to me, paying rent is literally throwing away money. You're getting nothing back for your return. Um, at least if you're owning a home, you know, you know, credit points and things like that. So um, for me, it was really talking to the money guy and seeing what I could afford. Um, and, you know, being single, that means one income, right? So you really kind of have to focus more on the money aspect of it. Um, but I think having a good team, especially when you're a first time home, you need a good team. Like I, there were things I never even would have thought about. And my realtor was like, absolutely not. Like I saw this house that I loved. It was a foreclosure. It was like five bedrooms, three baths, beautiful house, definitely needed a lot of work, but I have a friend who's a contractor. I knew he would do all the work for me. Um, and we walk into the house and I like put my hand on the railing and she slaps my hand. And I was like, what is wrong with you? And she's like, there's mold. We're getting out of here. And I was like, no, you can get rid of mold. She's like, yeah, for like 20 grand, you can get rid of mold. And I was like, what? Yeah. And I was like, okay, thank you for saving me all that money. Bye. We don't have to ever look at this house again. So um, having a good team with you is really helpful just to like know what to look for. Like, is the roof good or the windows good? You know, all that kind of like, not fun stuff that could very easily be hidden by the sellers. Um, you kind of have to start looking for. Yeah. yeah. You talk about the story piece. So uh, hopefully my uh, former real estate agent never hears this, but like she was completely useless. Like she didn't do anything for me. But I think also at that point I was doing so much of the legwork myself. Um, I just kind of sent her all these homes and it's such a weird, like, it's crazy to tell my friends this now, right? Make an offer on a Monday, $20,000 under asking, and it's accepted on a Tuesday morning. 
like that was the norm back then right and now it's the opposite of best and final you're dragging this on for weeks but i do agree with building the team like my team was actually my attorney he um he was putting in conditions it was again first time home buyer and uh living in a condo or <clears throat> a co-op there's you obviously have shared walls right and they're thick i've never heard my neighbors so i was thinking sound but he also said you need to think of smell because what if someone on your floor is constantly cooking a certain type of food and the smell goes through the air conditioning ducts or it goes in the hall uh so like all these different contingencies and basically the way to do that in a contract is to say if they filed the complaint to the hoa they have to legally give you that complaint um so if somehow the former owners said it was too smelly or too loud or too whatever like literally like 10 different that. contingencies <laughs> Uh, but it's true. It's a good point. I right? can picture like, it. Imagine if someone's cooking like fish every night and that's like going yeah, through the air vents. Just like spiced food, you know, a bunch of, right, a curry or whatever it is. And like, yeah, I want to eat it. But sometimes when you walk into someone's hall, you smell it. It's like, maybe I don't want that, whatever it is, right? So it was interesting contingencies. I also went through, I think you know the story, like my tax issue where they uh, reassessed my property. We ended up... Uh, having to sue the former homeowners to pay their fair share of the taxes basically because it was backcharged and they wouldn't do it. And my attorney, I, thankfully was like, listen, it's too expensive for you to hire me. Cause it was, I don't know, three or four grand I was fighting over, which is a you know, sizable chunk of change. Uh, but it was too expensive. It was just going to eat it away if I used him. Um, so he just kind of tooled me. He's like, here's the contract. Here's the language that you need to use. Go get smart on this and that. And I went to court and I beat someone else's attorney, which is pretty cool. But to your point, like I would have never felt comfortable. I would have never felt like I could even win a battle if not for kind of him walking me through that process all at no cost, which is really nice of an attorney to do that because they charge by the minute. So uh, I agree, like building the team and uh, it's a scary environment. I do think it's interesting you just quickly on the rental thing. Did you mention that? For the first time, I think in 30 years, it's cheaper to rent than it is to buy, as in like from a long-term perspective, because that's oh, how wow, bad that's interest taxes. rates are hitting the housing price. Yeah. So you could be paying for a two-bedroom, two-bath, let's call it a condo. You could be paying uh, three grand in rent, but it would cost you $4,000 to own. So it just depends on the long, the um, uh, tenure of your investment and like how long you're going to stay in that property, because that's how bad interest rates are as compared to housing prices. So it's pretty crazy right now. Um, but thankfully we both own homes. Sorry, Dom, for your future endeavors. That's fine. Yeah. I By the like time you're ready, you'll be all right. Yeah, like maybe. I'm sure the market will crash again. There's no way they can sustain this, so. We're hoping for it. I'll probably it, right? just rent for my entire life. That way I could just bounce around for when I get rich and I just go live like in Thailand for- Do it. Oh my God, I was going to say that. Get a fun place on the beach and do something. I, um, you know, go to the beach. I, I was actually talking to a coworker about our upcoming trip to Colombia, and he was like, oh, if you were going to, I think his friend lives in Peru. He's like, oh, if you were going to Peru, I would tell you to go visit my friend. I was like, oh, he moved to Peru, like for work. And he's like, no, he was a teacher. And he bought a place in Peru and decided he loved it so much. So he moves to Peru and rents his house in New York. 
and that's his income. That's great. That's the dream right there. You know, and if I can make it big for my side hustle, which I can't speak about on the podcast, it's not illegal. Don't worry, everybody. But uh, due to disclosure agreements, um, I could work from anywhere. And that would be awesome if I could go to a beach in Peru or Iquitos. That's like an area like in the middle of the fucking rainforest and there's 500,000 people. Incredible. But yes, I can't wait to talk more Colombia with you, Christina, over Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, you know, Thanksgiving's right around the corner. We're, we're going to close it. this interview pretty soon. But, you know, we like to throw some polls out there. And, uh, you know, I think the poll of this week is going to be favorite Thanksgiving sides. Chris, what are you looking forward to most on the Thanksgiving side menu? I am looking forward to the stuffing. My mom makes, like, the best stuffing in the world. So oh, good. Haven't heard that before. <laughs> oh, my God. Everyone says that. And one year we had, like, a combined Thanksgiving with, like, family friends of ours. And their mom made their stuffing. And it was so gross. It had, like, <laughs> rice. I was like, and they're rice. like, the best stuffing ever and I was like this is the most disgusting thing I've ever eaten in my life my mom by far makes better so who, uh, who was it you could shame them on here <laughs> it was Maria Mangelli I do not enjoy oh. the stuffing <laughs> but she started the meal off with pumpkin soup and that was fire so <laughs> oh that's good yeah what do you guys look looking forward to the most I wish we had soup I like my dad's pierogies, I think, are so, so talented, so good. You know, he's not a very good cook, but he does pierogies really well. And I told him, I was like, this year, we should make a little dipping sauce to go with it. Never have a dipping sauce. Or and I was like, oh. or something. yeah, so it's probably going to be sour cream based. That's where my mind first went. Probably just going to be sour cream and chives, to be honest. <laughs> but I think it's going to be dipping fire, sauce. you know, bacon, onion, pierogies, sour cream, chives. Oh my god, I have this really good Cajun seasoning. I feel like maybe we should put that in the sour cream. The Cajun sour cream. That, that might just be bold enough to work. I, I know. So. Well, Dom, Christ well, Christine and I were talking about um, what to bring for Thanksgiving. So we ended up on pumpkin pie cookies I'm going to do. But I mentioned, I was like, why don't, can I do something different? Can I do like chai flavor? She's like, absolutely. Like Our family is not the person to try these flavors on, so... We've decided to have our own. Personal. Would you eat something chai? I mean, I definitely would try yeah. it. But what about you, Dom? Yeah, of course. Of course, he would. Well, as long as there's enough the sugar in it. Yeah. I'm not going to give you a chai. Tea is bag. pretty basic white girl nowadays. Chai yeah. dirty latte. <laughs> yeah, are you kidding me? Uh, I, you know what? I, there's good sides out there. I think, like, weirdly enough, I really like like cornbread stuff. Mostly because mm. I, I like never eat it anytime else. So like a good cornbread with fresh corn. It's a little underbaked in the middle. It's really nice. Um, I saw good. a video of this guy made a cornbread, but it was like a, it was, uh, dude, it's fucking crazy. It was like a pineapple upside down cake. Oh, right? but, but it cornbread. was cornbread. Oh, that sounds good. Wow. With like a honey jalapeno glaze on the top. Sheesh. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. Make that, make that, make that. Hell yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's wait, my wait. Is that a side though, or is that a dessert? What did he serve it with? No, it's it's the cornbread. Yeah, he just made it. it just in the has shape like, of like the pineapple. It just has like a honey kind of glaze yeah. on top of it. Sounds good though. 
I, I you know, I don't like thinly like, sliced jalapenos. I don't like uh, mashed potatoes. That's like the one thing I, I will never. Thank you. I hate mashed potatoes. I think they're so it's gross. Prison food. I do not like the texture. It's a texture. Yeah, it's prison food. I just think it's very uh, unsalted when people make it, and then you're just eating potatoes. All right, what's the most overrated side? Are you guys saying mashed potatoes? Probably. I mean... Probably. And honestly, the turkey. I really don't enjoy the turkey that much. Um, Yeah, I think everyone That's true. That's true. It's the main event. I feel like uh, a bad green bean casserole is not good. You know, I also do not care for, it's probably going to be unpopular, but that sweet potato thing with all the marshmallows on top, I don't like that. I love that. Yeah. You just don't like the mushy foods, it seems. It's too sweet. The marshmallows are just, like, too much. That's the purpose. It's a dessert. It's actually, yeah. it's not a dessert, but it should be served. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't have mac and cheese. We should start I to know. bring that in. We're not Southern, that's why. That was, that was that's good. fine. That is fine. I will make that sacrifice, and <laughs> I'll eat you some You go for it. I'm going to make some mushrooms. I like making the mushrooms. Never a thing I put on my plate. That's fucked. I'm just more about like. Do mushrooms. you not like mushrooms or just no, at part of Thanksgiving? Like them by themselves, they don't do it for me. I like them in a dish or on top. Like, give me a burger with mushrooms, I'm fine with. But you can't uh, even taste the mushrooms on a burger. Don't even do anything for the burger. Lies. Oh my they god, I really love mushrooms. umami. All right, well, they're going to be delicious because they're oyster mushrooms. and they're, Ooh, they're high-end mushrooms. H-mark that up. just means it's more for me and you, Dom. Yeah. He's not going to eat them. And my dad, because I know he likes it. Yeah, he loves yeah. mushrooms. All right, well, I think that'll wrap it up. Chris, thank you so much for being on. You oh, gave thanks us, for uh, having me, guys. Some good, good luck. Thought. This um, will be a long-running show. I foresee it. <laughs> you know, we... Next week will be our fourth guest, and the average podcast lasts, is it four guests or four episodes, Dean? Three episodes. So we have already surpassed that. So we are officially above average, and that's kind of what I strive for. That's that's who Dom and I are in everything we try to do. Just get above average. Just above average. I mean... Exceeds expectations, check. Gotta shake it around. Well, you know, Mr. Thousand Percent is is on the the waiting list. Yeah, he'd be a good one for next week. Is sneak peek. Oh, <laughs> shut up! <laughs> we'll figure it out with the holidays. No, we do, we don't. I mean, actually, we might need to take a a break next week because oh, your travel day. Well, yeah, I'm gonna be home, and I won't have. I don't know how the logistics would work because we would like all need microphones now. I'm not going to bring my laptop home though. Is that going to be an issue? All right, we'll figure it out. Um, but, yeah. Cool. Christina, we'll see you Thursday. All right. Sounds good. See you guys Thursday. Bye. Bye.